Welcome to another episode of the Adaptabilia Podcast. Adaptabilia is brought to you by Q. Willie, Chris Hugh, and Ann Mason Moore. Given the evolving field of healthcare, the information here should not be considered direct medical advice. This is, however, an exploration of things related to rehab, strength and conditioning, and the adaptable nature of all things human. Sometimes we talk about an octopus or two. Wherever you're listening, we hope you enjoy the conversation. Sean Hodges, welcome to the party. Um, Mason is gone. He's dunking on some people in Nashville, North Carolina for his, what is it like a, a community get um, event? What you about said get together, didn't you? It's yeah, a, it's I don't understand what he's doing. Mixer. It's, yeah, a mixer, a basketball hooping mixer. <laughs> mixer. It, no, it's it's a city league and it's actually pretty competitive out there. There's a lot of like uh, ex-college uh, players and, and Mason's Mason's pretty nice with the hoops, man. So I know it's competitive out there. Yeah, well, he's gone. And uh, since he's the one that gives a fun fact before we started recording, John literally just pulled up his sleeve and has a fucking octopus on his arm and and chest. So maybe you give a background on, yeah, your entire right body. Um, What, how did that come about? Uh. It's funny because I can actually tie this into the some of the conversation we're gonna have about uh, poor decisions and uh, how my thought process has evolved over time from tribal armbands in the late '90s. The late '90s were like a really hard time to figure out your identity. All right, all you guys with social media and shit, we just had to figure it out on the fly. Yeah, I had frosted the frosted tips. So I don't have any hair. I think it's because I bleached it to death for about a decade. Uh, but yeah, I was basically a, a smaller, more fratastic Nick Lachey from like 1999 to 2003. And so I made some poor tattoo decisions and uh, I spent a lot of money fixing them. So, and but fixing them's soft, <laughs> soft description. They're not as awful. So yeah. So the octopus tattoo is a natural transition, obviously, from tribal armband. Did you... What? did you have options in your head of like, how do I cover this? Or did you go to a tattoo, tattoo artist and they were like, you got to do an octopus. How did, how'd you even choose it? Yeah. So I had multiple tribal tattoos and uh, one looked more like an eye. <laughs> so one looked like an eye and it just kind of naturally built from there. Like how the hell are we going to cover up two tribal tattoos? So yeah. And octopus are, they're, I love it. I love a good octopus. Nice. Who doesn't? Sweet. Who doesn't? Fantastic animals. I got a Korean barbecue last weekend with a classmate and he ordered octopus and just, it was a, like a full, like baby tentacle. octopus that they just, no, not even the tentacle, oh. like the whole thing, its head was dangling, put it on the the grill. And I was like, dude, that's going to taste disgusting. And he, he couldn't eat it. So he probably cooked it wrong, but we just roasted the mascot. You guys were in charge of cooking it yourselves. Yeah. Have you ever been to Korean barbecue? Well, I've had cream barbecue. I didn't realize that that's what they do. It's like yeah, normally barbecue. like you have a grill and then they just give you all the raw stuff. It could be very sketch if you don't cook it all the way through. Like we roasted the octopus for like 20 minutes. <laughs> just <laughs> it still tasted pretty bad. Yeah, that seems like an interesting business model. Like, hey, we're just going to put out all the ingredients. And if you guys mess it up, well, not on us. I like the confidence yeah. though. Yeah. Like, <laughs> let's, let's try an octopus. Well, he, he ordered one and he goes, do you want one? I said, no. And he said, I'll have two. So he ordered two for himself, not knowing that it was going to be an actual like full octopus. He just thought it was going to be like Calamari. Okay. <laughs> not good. Yeah. Well, 
maybe we give more of a formal intro on yourself, John, where you currently are, and then we can talk about how Q and I both know you. Sure. Yeah. Um, so John Hodges, I'm uh, one of the owners of Nevada Physical Therapy. We have two locations out in uh, Reno, Nevada. So not Nevada, Nevada. Uh, my clinic is primarily catered towards like barbell athletes and just community athletes. We were on campus at uh, University of Nevada for about 27 years until we just recently left and opened up our own kind of brick and mortar down here. So, uh, yeah, just been building the space and, and continue to kind of work with, you know, we work with everybody. I mean, I had 70 year old guys today doing reverse Nordics and deadlifts. I mean, but our, our main brand is definitely like strength athletes. So yeah, I've been doing this. Uh, and I came back to Nevada PT in 2013. So it's been almost about nine years now. So since I've been back, but I did my, my rotation here as well when I was a student back in 07. So kind of came full circle. Yeah. Yeah. And I just finished my rotation with you about three or four weeks ago at a tiny four week rotation at Nevada PT. Also, maybe we get this right straight. Everyone says Nev PT because your Instagram, do you want to, do you want people to just call it Nevada physical therapy or is Nev PT fine with you? I don't really care. Always correct me. You don't care. Okay. Well, I don't, I mean, it's kind of a weird, we live in a weird time. You're Nev PT. Like, I mean, well, yeah, it's an abbreviation. Like, you know, <laughs> I don't think but we do that with anything. We don't do that with it's anything else. Like like my building's on Virginia street. And I was like, Virginia. It's just weird. <laughs> like, I don't know why like social media handles, like people think that that's like what you should call the person, but anyways, yes. Nev PT, whatever you want. Uh, but if it's, you're gonna go full Nevada, it's Nevada, not Nevada. That's the only, right. That's the only thing. Nice. So yeah, I just finished my four week stint with you. It was awesome. Tiniest rotation of all time. And then Q, how do you know, John? Yeah. So it's funny. I, one of the students that was in my cohort very day one of PT school she sat next to me her name is Ali Vanek and she was like hey after we talked for just like five ten minutes you would have loved the guy that I shadowed before going to PT school he's like super into lifting and does all this stuff and I was like yeah 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 sure whatever and like I remember like seeing a picture of you mm-hmm. and I and it was just like a I don't know a passing thing and probably a year went by and then I learned, I, I think I reached out to Derek Miles from Barbo Medicine and, and kind of was developing that relationship. And somehow, somewhere your name came up and I thought to myself, this is like too serendipitous. I can't ignore this. So I reached out, started chatting, see if we could do a clinical rotation with you and made it happen, man. So I did four months. That was in um, 2021. That was like from- about a year ago. Yeah, about a year ago now, uh, yeah. January 2021 through uh, like May. Yep. So I was actually there at UNR and then kind of saw you go through the transition into the the Dream Team Clinic now. So it was kind of fun to see both sides of the original Nev PT as well as Nevada Physical Therapy down there on Virginia uh, now. <laughs> and uh, you, yeah, you got all the fun part of helping us move, but never actually got to like treat here. <laughs> Right. Yeah. He I just had to help Chris. us lift all the heavy stuff and then he had to leave. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I told Chris that he's just lucky SOB because uh, I helped freaking move all that crap in there and never got to do anything <laughs> over there. I got a lift in once or twice before I left, but anyway. you get the trade off. You got to work out in the stadium and, you know, do all that stuff. So, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You and R treated me well. So it was good. Is, is this like a PG? Like, I mean, what's our 
lang profanity situation because I get a little. You can say whatever you want. Actually, Q, do we have a cutoff? I mean, I just said fuck like. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't in. think there's. I don't think there's a cutoff. Uh, we just have to make sure we select explicit content when we go to publish. So as long as people yeah, know is. going in, it's go fine. Check check that box right now. Yeah. 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 We're gonna go ahead and do that. <laughs> um. Yeah. The so I knew without even you know actually talking to you, John. I knew of you through the the old forum, the clinical athlete forum, when I started. Uh, when I was a member in I think 2018 or 2019, I started reading it. And for people that were never experienced the OG clinical athlete forum, where it was just the wild, wild west of like essays that were being written, um, it was wild. So you have these threads of certain topics on the forum. There was a manual therapy thread. There's a dry needling thread. There was like a PRI thread. And you just have these essays pretty much like a book you can read it takes mm-hmm. hours to go through it. And this name, multiple names kept popping up. Derek miles, John Hodges, Michael Ray, Sam Spinelli, uh, you know, obviously Quinn, Quinn, uh, Hennick, cause he was the, the owner, um, or creator. And as I read through these, I see this like evolution of John, but these were written in 2015, 2016 and his thoughts. And it was just fascinating to see, you know, yours and even other people's over years uh, of kind of backlogging the, this, uh, these conversations and seeing your change in thought and, and explanation and beliefs and rationale. And it was through these long form discussions. So maybe we start there of, where were you five, seven, 10 years ago, kind of in your beliefs, where you were practicing your thoughts, and then how you got into the forum, your relationship and bromance with Derek, and then all these things that kind of accumulated to where you are now? Uh, yeah. So I think it's interesting. Derek and I are both on maybe the older side of like this, this circle. You know what I mean? There's obviously guys that have been around a lot longer than us, but as far as like this circle goes and a lot of the conversations we have, we're both, you know, in our forties and, and uh, Derek just had a kid and I've got two kids, you know, we're, you know, Q's got kids, but he's young. <laughs> it doesn't count. I'm all young, but uh, yeah. So back when I came out of school, I graduated in 07. I worked in San Clemente in a, a sports clinic down there and I loved it. I was down there for about two years, um, but Reno was always home and, you know, just life was just kind of pushing me back to Reno. Um, I came out of PT school. I, I specifically went to PT school because I wanted to be a business owner. It was one of the uh, deciding factors between PT and PA. So I always wanted to own my own business and I always wanted to work in sports. And so uh, PT made more sense to kind of accomplish that goal. So I went down to San Clemente and I was trying to buy into that practice, like to take over one of the partnerships, but that was when the 2008 recession came. And so one of the partners obviously lost a lot of money in the stock market, like, you know, the vast majority of the country. So he ended up backburning his retirement deal. And, and I just didn't love Southern California anymore. I'd been down there for about six years at that point. So came back to Reno and the only job I could find was in a osteopathic clinic, right? It was osteopathic manual therapy, like old school osteopathic, like the old, you know, DO, the real DO world from back in like, you know, the 1880s, you know, that was the model that I was working in. And, and uh, the guy I worked for, uh, he's a brilliant osteopathic manual therapist. You know, I mean, he's just uh, really well read and does a really good job in that world. Very um, guru-like, right? Uh, you know, beloved in Reno. And so what I got when I started working with him, 
I became very popular in Reno because he had this kind of like model that people really loved, right? Just lay on the table and fix me. So I was there for about four years. I started getting pretty disenfranchised with it because people loved me because everyone loves that style of treatment, you know, just fix me. But they kept coming back and I said, I just kind of had this like rotation of people that were coming in like once a month or, you know, and I just I started feeling like I wasn't really helping people. And I started getting kind of burned out as far as that model went. And uh, I hadn't, I literally hadn't read a research paper probably in five years. I mean, all of my continuing education came, we did weekly like training hours. We did uh, the continuing ed that I did was taught by uh, the osteopathic foundation that my boss was faculty for. So he would host courses every year. And we were, so we were just keeping being trained in the same exact model. And there was no like conversations and it was just, you know, I was too young in my career to really like have any kind of context. So when I finally just was, I was trying to buy that practice as well. So, right. There was kind of like a godsend that that didn't work out because I don't know what would have become my career. I would have been over in that. If I would have bought into that practice, I probably would have stayed there and you know, who knows where I would be at this point. Right. So these little pivotal things, um, so I, I got a phone call from Krista, uh, Jacoby Mann, who is my business partner. So her father was one of the, the two guys that started Nevada PT and, and she was pregnant. She called me and was like, Hey, I'm going on maternity leave. These guys want to sell. I know you've been trying to buy, like, do you want to come up here? So this is now be the third time that I was going to, uh, try to buy a practice. And I told him, I was like, I'm not even coming up there unless you have all the financials, all the paperwork. I want to see everything on this very first meeting. Cause I was just sick of getting strung along. So I showed up and, and both of the, the current owners at the time, they just slapped the binders down and laid it out. And I put my two weeks in the next day and, and came up to Nevada PT. So I got this big transition from, you know, being trained in-house by an osteopathic kind of like, you know, foundation to uh, Randy, who was the, uh, Randy Jacoby, who was the original uh, founder of Nevada PT, who was very evidence-based at the time, you know, evidence-based to his career, he's retired now, but so he's just firing like, research. I mean, I'm, I'm realizing really quickly that I'm kind of out of my, you know, wheelhouse, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, I was getting really complacent, really tired and bored with PT at the time. So I don't know how Quinn uh, found me because he reached out to me and was like, Hey, I'm doing this thing. Do you want to be a part of it? And I was like, sure. I mean, it was originally just going to be a, uh, more of a marketing. It's, it's funny how clinical athletes kind of evolved. I mean, I don't think people realize that originally it was going to be this like provider network where if you did yoga and you wanted a chiropractor that did yoga, you could find that person on this map. But what ended up happening is the forum, which was like on the backside just started growing and these conversations started happening. And, and so of course, manual therapy is the one that most people think of, you know, I mean, from that forum, because that's where I think there's a lot of really like strongly held beliefs and where people were uh, really just trying to have conversations. And Derek, I didn't know who Derek was, you know, at the time. I mean, so Derek would come out in, in a way with, you know, like you said, I mean, a 2000 word write up with 15 articles and it would take you, you know, three hours to get through just what he responded, let alone your, your rebuttal. And so so Derek and I started kind of going back and forth and, uh, and Mike Ray was a part of that conversation and a few others. And we started going back and forth on like why we thought these things and we were sharing. And I was, you know, just really, I mean, a, a novice in trying to find research. And I finally had access to PubMed. I didn't even have access to this stuff when I was at the other, the other job. So I was starting to kind of get through this research process and presenting papers to Derek. And, and in hindsight, looking back at how Derek kind of handled it, it was like, you know, Q can relate, relate can relate to this. It's like when your kid is trying to show you something and you have to be, you're like, you're being supportive and you're like, yeah, that's great, buddy. And it's like, you know, and they're showing you how they wink and they're just like closing both eyes at once. You're like, ah, that's awesome. But, you know, can I show you really like what a wink really is? 
then I realized I was like how Derek was kind of handling me. You know, it was like, yeah, it's uh, interesting. It's a, it's a good point. But um, did you notice? You know, it's like, hmm, yeah. In the beginning, though, those beliefs were really strongly held for me. You know, you got, I mean, four years of being like heavily indoctrinated in this, this model. And so I was able to have conversations with them. And I think Derek did a really good job of having those conversations. And him and I were able to be civil. But I was pissed for like two weeks, I would just be at night, you know, just writing my response. And my wife's like, stop arguing on the internet. And we would go back and forth. And finally, uh, I reached out to Derek and I was just like, Hey, I, I appreciate this conversation. Like, it's just kind of making me think. And it's something that I was looking for that I realized I was looking for to challenge my beliefs. And, and I think, uh, and I've talked to you guys both about this over, the, over time, but I think my, one of my stronger skill sets is that not that I'm not as smart as you guys. I'm not as smart as a lot of guys. But I'm good at being aware of my biases and I'm, I'm very open to challenging my biases. And so when Derek would challenge him, I would read what he wrote and it made more sense than what I thought. And I was able to kind of evolve. And so the fact that I think that I had that skill and that Derek would, you know, was able to kind of present the stuff like him and I just started, you know, sharing more conversations. And, and that's kind of where our friendship kicked off. But it was a I mean, it was a pivotal point in my career was that that thread itself. I mean, I look back at that and I, you know, fondly because I can look back at the way I thought and I can look back at like these great friendships that I built. I mean, Derek's one of my best friends now. And uh, in the way that I practice has been shaped significantly by that. So, you know, and I think nowadays, you know, social media wasn't as strong as it is now. You know, if you think about seven, eight years ago. Nowadays, you just hear a lot of parroting, right? People are just sharing things before they even think. There's no processing. Whereas, like clinical athlete, like you had to come correct. You couldn't just pipe off a comment. I mean, if you weren't writing a you know a 500 or 1,000 word response with articles, like don't even bother. And so there was a lot more intent. There was a lot more conversation happening. Whereas nowadays, that's been lost with with the Facebook and the and the you know Instagram style of trying to have these conversations. You just can't do it in the same way that clinical athlete did. So it's, it's just been an interesting thing that I don't know how many people get that same experience or are able to even be in a situation where they can't have that experience. But, but yeah, I credit Derek is, uh, even though I'm his elder, I credit him as uh, being uh, you know one of the main mentors in my life. So. Yeah, that's awesome. You man. remember. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I remember that you showed me some of those old binders and textbooks when you were cleaning out the clinic that you had found back from the osteopathic days and that you were, I remember you told me at one time that you used to tilt people's livers, that their liver was tilted 20 degrees to the left and they needed to be untilted or something like that. Oh, I don't I, know I, if I got into degrees. Like I'm not that really. Ah, you know. Okay. Like okay. You can't feel the degrees, but you can obviously feel if the liver's tilted. So, yeah. Well, that's a, this is something else. Like, I mean, I'm, mortified by some of the things that I probably told people back then, you know, like the, my biggest cringe moments are when patients are like, I remember like years ago you said, I'm like, Oh shit, how bad was it? You know? But the side effect is that is that you cannot out guru me. I mean, I'll talk about Chapman reflexes and pharyngeal arches and hypogastric plexus and I'll, I'll do it all. I've done it all. I spent years treating this shit. And so when people start throwing these terms around, I'm like, I'll talk about Chapman reflex. I'm like, I did it. I mean, you want to talk about counter strain? Dude, trained by, you know, the guys that came up with this shit. Like, so it gave me context into that side of those conversations that I think a lot of people don't have, right? Because there's this very like strong, like anti-manual therapy type deal, right? That's kind of a running conversation. But when you go and do it, so not only was I only a manual therapist, I was an osteopathic manual therapist. So, I mean, I was treating like 
tipped livers. I mean, it didn't get my, my mentor, he one time treated a dog. He would treat, uh, you know, yeah, dogs. I mean, we were treating babies. We were treating, I mean, all kind. we were moving, he would move the baby, right? You know, off, I mean, it was, that was the world I was in. So I have a very wide lens that I can look at these conversations and I can remember my own evolution of thought. And I think that just adds just, you know, an ability for me to be able to communicate to people and, and to understand and also to be able to pick out bullshit very, very quickly. So yeah, I want to trade it. So you uh, alluded to it with social media and I talked with Quinn about this as well of the, what I found so helpful with the forum, you know, even though I wasn't an active member when y'all were participating, cause I was probably an 18 year old in undergrad. I mean, I don't feel like you have to say it like that, but, you know. <laughs> but it's like, you know, looking at it and reading it and, and realizing that, Oh, these people would take weeks to respond or they would write out multiple paragraphs and then comparing that to, you know, the norm of people my age or even Q's age of it is that instant gratification of social media and TikTok and uh, Instagram. And so there is no acceptance of waiting to give a response or giving a long response or even the, the medium to do that. And Maybe we can go into the second point where what you're seeing, you know, you alluded to this before we recorded what you're seeing with some of these PT entrepreneurs and some of the things of uh, pushing a lot on social media of where people think they should be at or what's assumed of new grads. And then maybe the bigger picture of uh, the, the clinic and your kind of this evolution of how things should be. Uh, yeah, I mean... That's a, that's a wide, that's definitely a wide swath for sure. But uh, I think you're right. I think social media, I think there's a lot of positives, right? I mean, I think it's probably one of the main ways that, that we've all met. And I think it's a way that I get to, you know, just kind of be in, in you know, some of these circles that uh, based out of a small clinic in Reno, you know, and I've never had the opportunity to have these conversations with a lot of people. I mean, Sam Spinelli and I are, are good friends and there's in Canada, you know what I mean? Like Quinn and, and you guys and, and, and Mike Ray, I mean, Mike Ray and I probably, were friends, you know, we, we would talk daily or weekly for probably five years before we, we met, you know what I mean? The first time I met him was when we hosted the Barbell Medicine Seminar, but we were, I mean, we had been talking constantly for, for years. I mean, so we were good friends. So I think with what happens though, is with social media, the negative side of it is that one, you're getting these people that are sharing information that there's just no context. There's no like thought we there's no origin of like you know we, we can't watch the evolution of where this came from like we could in those forums and so what it does is it allows people to just kind of pipe off and fire fire these comments with no repercussions i mean again derek and i are old so and we both come from you know more country backgrounds where you didn't get to just say shit like if you said something there was a good chance you were gonna get punched in reno it wasn't let's go outside you literally said something you got punched immediately that's just how it worked. <laughs> And, and so now there's this like world where people get to be really aggressive or they get to be really mean because they're never going to have to get corrected. Right. The trade-off of that too, is I think what we, what you're getting at, what we were talking about earlier was that I think there's this, 
huge comparative culture that happens from social media, right? It's all highlight reels. It's all everybody selling stuff, right? That's the whole model. That's why I personally don't give a shit about Instagram. The only reason why I like Instagram is because I get to still connect with people, right? Like, like you guys and, and some of these, some other people that I consider friends that I maybe don't get to see and met once, you know, but, but the negative side of it is that these, these, this comparative culture of look at how cool this is or look how amazing I am. And then you should be here. With again, no context, no evolution of thought, no one being able to watch what that process looked like, you know? And so with, you know, there's two ends of this, but like with what we're talking about, as far as young physical therapists, nobody's out there telling all the young PTs that you have no value. Like the reality is, is when you finish school, you have no value to anybody other than the people that knew you in school, right? Like you have inherent value, right? You're not you know, worthless, but as an employer, you're worthless. I'm telling you right now, you have no value. Q, I didn't know Q from Adam. I, like he, I met him at TSM and he asked me if he could come up and, and do a rotation. And I took Derek's you know, word. Derek's like, he's great. I think he's going to do good things. He's very smart. I'm like, all right. So I like Q come up, but I didn't know him. I didn't know anything about him and he had no inherent value to me. And then Q came up and, and we worked together and I was like, dude works hard. He works like me. Like he's got a great, I mean, he built that value, but I had to get that exposure. And so I think what gets lost and same thing with you, Chris, like, I didn't know who you were. Q was like, Hey, my buddy, Chris, he wants to do a rotation. I'm like, I don't want to fuck Chris is. And it's like, he's great. You like him smart. And, and Derek's like, Nope, Chris is great. And all right, you can come up here. But I, I think that what gets lost in all of these types of conversations is that nobody actually explains how this is supposed to work when you get out of school. So if you don't have a guy like Derek telling me that you guys are, you know, a plus and, and this little like network, you have to go out there and you have to give away a bunch of free shit. Right. It's it's the 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 sample at the mall. Right. When you walk by the food court and they got the orange chicken on the toothpick they're doing that for a reason, right? Like I was, that was good. I don't know who this restaurant and like, you're going to circle back. Maybe I will get some orange chicken. It wasn't even on my mind. So what I recommend for like, for new grads, new grad, and it doesn't matter if you're a new grad or you're just new to a community or whatever, is you have to give away free shit. You have to establish your value first, and then you get to do the asking, right? And all you're hearing right now, like the PT entrepreneurs and all these like business development guys and everybody wants to do a cash model and all this stuff is I think, in, especially in Reno, you're going to fail because the, why would I go see you? Because you have some cool, like sexy marketing ad, like that'll work. I mean, it'll work to a degree, but that's usually a flash in the pan type stuff, right? It's the, it's getting people in the door. Sure. And if you have the content, great. But what we do, and this is, and I, I typically tell all of my new PTs, it takes about three years. It takes about three years of giving away free shit. And, and for PTs, the only thing we have is time, right? So you're doing workshops, you're doing injury clinics, maybe you're volunteering for a team. Um, so we would typically do, uh, you know, seminars on the weekends. Once a week or once a month, we would have, you know, one of our new PTs, they would host a workshop. Then they'd maybe go volunteer and go shadow, you know, one of the big, you know, one of the trainers in town, one of the performance guys, and they just kind of get into that network. Then they're going to do maybe like some just free injury assessments, right? You know, Saturdays were, you know, when I was in San Clemente, um, Friday night lights, you know, so Saturday morning was injury clinic. It was free. If anyone got banged up, they'd pop in and we would do an assessment. And then you would kind of filter them in if they were, if they needed to be, to be patients. But this, this idea of you're going to graduate PT school, you're going to go work in a, in a, you know, 
6,000 square foot facility with turf and 15 barbells. And you're going to work with all these like pro athletes and it's going to be amazing. And you're gonna charge 200 bucks an hour. I mean, that is a recipe for disaster for most, most clinicians, right? They have to go out there and realize if you want to get into the community and you want to build this network, you have to start giving away free shit. And it doesn't have to be like all the time. I mean, you can charge for your services, but your free stuff is going to be on the adjunct, right? So, I mean, Q, you know, you're building your business. I mean, we were talking about it, you know, uh, a month ago or whatever. And I'm like, how's it going? Like, well, I'm working out at the local gym because, you know, you do your ridiculous, you know, workouts, right? They're ridiculous. Yeah. That's fine. You can call them ridiculous. They're a little ridiculous sometimes. You bench today. I did. First so time only, in, yeah, in at first least time a year. A valuable workout. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, but that's an example, though, is like you had to put himself in the community, right? You can't, but you can put your little booth out front, you know, and you can sign people up and, and give them away, give away keychains if you want. But really, people need to get exposed to who Q, who Q is. So they, they watch him train. They're going to come up, start asking questions. Now he gets his foot in the door and he gets to explain some things and build that relationship. But if he just runs his, you know, paid Facebook ads and, and does that marketing stuff and, and tries to build it from there and then tries to charge people 200 bucks an hour, that's going to be a rough road. And typically that's going to be a road where you're going to fail. Right. You have to work per diem somewhere else to just try to keep your cash flow going because you're going to now take the long haul. And I think if somebody was just out there mentoring some of these young guys and teaching them, like just a couple hours of free shit a month, right? Call it five hours. Give away five hours a month. And in three years, you won't have to give away free stuff anymore. I don't give away free stuff anymore, but you got to do it at some point. And after about three years, you start getting the referrals now. Then you start getting the, the ants of the, of the guy that you treated, you know, you start building that, that community and, and it, it grows from there if you do a good job. So did I answer your question? Is that kind of what you're, you're asking about? Yeah. I left it broad and very uh, open for a reason, just to see where we wanted to go with it. Um, you alluded to it, but you know, the clinic that y'all just created by no means you're 15 years into your practice, right? So assuming that just now you're, you have this spot, this kind of idyllic spot or thing that you had in your head, that assumption now is that someone's going to get that as a new grad or mm -hmm. that they're going to magically appear in this clinic and deserve that position. But to your point, why or how is that um, reasonable? Um, it's not reasonable. You know what I mean? So I have one of my texts right now. She's starting up at San Diego State in May. She's like, I just want to, you know, I just, I hope I can find a clinic like this. I go, just get that out of your mind. It's not that there aren't other clinics like this. It's just that you, you're valuing the wrong thing, right? So yeah, with Nevada PT, when I came up to Nevada PT, we didn't own a squat rack and we didn't have a barbell. We did have a biodex. So there was a trade-off, right? It was a different model, right? It was a much more orthopedic and post-surgically based kind of clinic. It, was, it is and was then, especially, I mean, one of the best clinics in town, if not the best. I mean, they had a, a very great, successful operation. And so, I mean, they had a biodex. I couldn't save the biodex. I tried. I called the guy. It took like a floppy disk. Now, you guys might not know what a floppy disk is, you know what I mean? But, you know. So floppy disk and the guy was like, dude, we don't even make parts for this thing anymore. Shit. So we literally chopped up a biodex and threw it away like within a few months because we could not save it. It was just too old. So they had a, that's, that was the model. It was very, it was still, you know, evidence-based and this is back in like, you know, 94 to like 2007, right? So very, very evidence-based. 
very more that, that very much more that biomechanical type model. So I don't think anything's more perfect than when I first started, we had a biodex and we chopped it up and we didn't have a squat rack. And now I don't have a biodex and we have like six squat racks, you know? So my, my recommendation for, for most of the new grads, for all new grads is the, it's the valuable piece is the mentorship, right? To have a community of, of, you know, older physical therapists or seasoned veterans, however you want to think about it, that are willing to like mentor you, but also be willing to have conversations to be susceptible or be open to changing, you know, beliefs and, and having this kind of environment where you can, you can go back and forth and you can share these ideas, but structured mentorship, not ending up in a high volume type operation. Those are more important. Right. Because when I started, we didn't have a squat rack. We didn't have a barbell. Right. We were the classic, you know, heaviest weight we had. I think the heaviest weight we had at that time is a 15 pound dumbbell. Right. And this is division one athletes at the time, but it was unique. We were on campus. Right. Strength and conditioning. We had a lot of like, you know, other resources available so that that was the way we did things. Then I started I was a power lifter. I'm like, let's get a squat rack. We got we had a wall mount, one single wall mount rig. We borrowed some barbells from, you know, strength and conditioning that were just sitting out in the rain. They were all rusty and bent and they gave us some old beat up kilo plates. And that's where we started. And we started, you know, working on that and it was going and people really responded. They really enjoyed it. And more people were enjoying that part. And, you know, we, we actually uh, in uh, like the university system, it's a you have like government surplus. Right. So one of the gyms was one of the like student gyms was closing. So we got a bunch of old beat up kettlebells an old beat up kettlebell rack. We were slowly like picking up and we were literally like hand me down equipment. And that model just kept growing. So that finally we had some cash. We had, you know, 4,000 bucks. Let's buy a squat rack. Let's buy some more, you know, more strength stuff. And we started piecing it together. So you figure I've been back for almost, almost 10 years. So it's been what, nine years. I bet you we've spent I mean, the Kaiser that we have the Kaiser knee extension, hamstring curl, those are like 10 grand, but you take those out. Right. Cause I don't think those are essentials. Take those out. I bet you we've spent 12,000 bucks over nine years to build, to get all the equipment that we have. Like it's not this astronomical thing. We bought some chunks, you know, some of these four or $5,000 deals. And a lot of them were like 1200 bucks. We just bought another squat rack because rogue was doing 75 bucks for shipping. If you bought a rack. So I bought a rack and then I snuck in a bunch of other things that we were trying to get, but I didn't want to pay so much in shipping. So really what I had was I had a business partner that, that shared some of these ideas that, that really wanted to kind of continue to evolve this practice. Um, we had, she let me kind of like explore and, and kind of grow a little bit with this stuff. And, and then the more that this just kept going, I mean, we joke around in here that we are so biased. We don't own a treadmill. Like we're like one of the, probably the only PT clinics that has a chalk bowl and, you know, a deadlift platform. But we don't own a treadmill. And I don't think one PT that works in my clinic I don't, I can't remember the last time anyone's ran. I don't think we've had any of my PTs have ran in the last five years. Like not exaggerating. We're biased. It's not that I don't value running. I personally don't value running, but it's not that we don't do that. It's just that our brand has evolved over time, right? Maybe we'll get a treadmill in the future. Maybe we'll get back to a biodex. Maybe some of these things will, will evolve. But I think when you look at Instagram and you just see all these cool clinics, I mean, the one thing about Kevin Wilk that I loved was that he had pro athletes doing agility drills in this shitty carpet hallway. I'm like, I mean, if this guy has got, just goes into the hallway to have his guys running, like there's respect there, right? We can argue about like the perturbation and the six, you know, bands and all that stuff. But 
But I think people forget about those things. That's what it was like back in the 90s, back in the 2000s. Like there, nobody had turf. Nobody had any of this stuff. It was all just like that usual low ply carpet and you were just doing things with what you had. And now it's evolving. And so I just I think just like the social media conversation, it, it just gets lost. Where now everybody wants to go and work with like, you know, the cool shit and the, the sexy clinic. But no one's talking about do you have a safe place to explore ideas? Do you get feedback? Do you have mentorship? I mean, it doesn't need to be a one-on-one cash model, but I mean, are you getting like the resources you need to be able to develop as a, as a young clinician? And is there a future there that something you can build on? I mean, those are the important conversations. Yeah. And one thing that you said earlier too, John, when you were talking about the forum from clinical athlete is like, and you've said this a million times to me and to Chris and to pretty much anybody that we interact with. And that's like, I'm not, you, you really are genuine. We said, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. And however, I'm really good at, at questioning, you know, my biases are recognizing where I'm biased. And I think similar to that conversation into the social media conversation where young clinicians are now exposed to the pictures, the flash of what is this like ideal clinic. And they think that they have to get there today, like now, you know, and and you're having this timeline of things from both like where you should be in your career. But then I think on the flip side with biasy that we might carry, we, it's very easy in, in the social media sphere to fall into like these tribes, you know, and, and it's being kind of a part of the social media sphere right now. It's so difficult to put anything out of high caliber value because it gets like no views. Nope. Like nobody wants to read some nuanced thing about they just want green check marks and red x's right. you know and, and just tell me what to do and, and it's the same with young clinicians just i want to be in the the flash i want it now i want it now and i'm curious um to kind of transition from that piece you have done a lot of work with creating um like protocols for different things and certainly not sexy but it's helped a lot of people i mean in, in fact i send your acl protocols and other things on your blog to a lot of people that message me on Instagram. Um, yeah, no, it's, it, and it's great stuff, man. I mean, you've clearly, you've put a ton of work into that. And so quick little, you know, plug for you, for anyone listening, like check out Nev PT's little blog, because there's gems in there for sure that John has written and, and collabed with others, but um, kind of walk us through what started the process of this long form thing outside of clinical athlete for you, how you've arrived at some of these protocols and also like, how you've changed, man, over, over time with those. Yeah, I, um, well, first your, your point about Instagram, again, Instagram was built to be a photo sharing platform, right? It was not supposed to be a text-based deal. So it's getting kind of like, you know, it's kind of like gotten bastardized into this. Like now people are like, it's like you guys, when you guys try to leave me voice memos that I never listened to. <laughs> if I want to just, so you're sending me a voicemail in a text and it's a workaround and I am not here for it. I'm not listening. I don't listen to voicemails. I'm not going to listen to voice memos. And this is what happens to Instagram is now people are using stories and they have like 600 words on it and they're trying to write a blog on a photo sharing platform. So yes, Instagram is originally was built to be a visually, right? kind of engaging platform and it's just kind of changed over time. So it's just not the right platform for some types of people. Um, so that being said, I would disagree that I don't, I don't think it has to be sexy to work. I don't think barbell medicine has a sexy model, right? I don't think Meekins, I don't think Ben Cormack, I don't think any of these guys are selling the shit that sells. 
but what they are is they're sincere it's it's usable it's valuable like they have content and it's just going to be more organic so the same thing we're talking about earlier is that i think people expect that if they just like post you know a few times a day or or whatever and they they do all this like editing and all this and that in six months or maybe a year they're going to be you know ten thousand followers i mean i don't even think derek's at ten thousand yet i mean and this guy is he's teach i mean he's lecturing at you know csm and he was at the, the sports city and he's doing you know barbell medicine and i mean he's probably done 50 podcasts he's writing textbooks and this guy doesn't even have ten thousand followers so like which is more important what is your goal right is your goal to build an online following and then you're going to cater to instagram you're going to have to play the game right? You have to do comedic, you know, shorts of handlebar mustaches and crotch shots. That's just what's going to sell, man. I mean, it's sexy and, and we get it. But I would say I never, like we became known for the ACL protocol, even though I think it's, I think it's fine. I think it's good. I think it's better than what's out, lots out there, but I mean, I'm my harshest critic. Like there's certain things and I change it all the time. The version that's up there right now is the third version. And we're going to rewrite it again in the spring. I mean, we're going to start kind of like going back through it again and seeing what we can make better. But when my original uh, thought process came, it was, it was kind of twofold. So maybe there's three, threefold, trifold. I don't know. One was I was trying to figure out ways to market myself, but I'm a shitty marketer because I don't care that much about a lot of the things that people care about that make you good at marketing. Right. I can't do the the silly like ad. I can't do like the Facebook ad. Like it's just not my style. So one of the ways that worked for me was to consult with physicians if they would be willing to give me feedback on a protocol that I was just working on. And what happened was these physicians, the ones that got involved, now they felt vested. They felt like they had a piece, they had a say. They and then they built trust with me. I had a chance. I got to communicate with these physicians a lot more. They knew exactly what I was going to be doing. Uh, when they sent me these people. So it built this relationship and it worked really, really well. And we probably went, we probably went 10 X on the number of ACL patients we saw after I went through that process. And that was purely just from working with the physicians to try to have them contribute or consult or give me feedback on a protocol. The other part was, I think we do a really shitty job at ACLs. I think most of us are passionate about things that we have personal experience with. And since I'm, you know, a four-time ACL, you know, loser, you know, right? Because I've lost four ACLs. Anyway, so I've got to work on that one. But I was so impassioned about it. I'm like, do we do a shitty job with ACL management? Like the return of sport, like outcomes are bad. Like, let's look into this and let's just see if we can see any kind of like threat, you know, any, any themes or ideas on, the, on things that maybe we could do a little bit better. And obviously my biases of being in the powerlifting community and a lot of the hamstring stuff. And when you looked at traditional ACL protocols at that time, uh, I mean, it was maybe nine to one, right. Of quad hamstring type work. And typically the hamstring stuff was super underloaded. It was some sort of like prone ham pearl. And it was like, there was a little bit in there, but it was really low. And so we really just started building a, a lot more hamstring work into our protocol. And that was kind of what was the unique piece about it at the time. And then we created more of a battery of testing, which really wasn't around very much back then. And and so it was, it was an opportunity for me to kind of get my name in with the surgeons and let them kind of be involved in this process and build that relationship. It was something that I was passionate about that I felt like we weren't doing a very good job with. And the last piece was like, it, when you get out of school, I think you're, you're really trying to consume all the things, right? You're trying to get baseline anchor points on so many different conditions that you can read a lot of research, but you can't read a lot of research about one thing. 
right? You have to read about, you know, the tendinopathies and all, all the different things. I mean, you probably have 15 different ideas on things that where you feel like you need to read more. As you get further out, you're able to just dedicate your, your energy to one thing, right? I probably haven't read a single uh, published article outside of hip arthroscopies in six months. I mean, I probably haven't read a single one other than maybe that shoulder one, Chris, that you and I looked at, but I'm like, that was it. Like my entire like focus right now is finishing this hip protocol. And I'm doing this hip protocol for the same reason. The outcomes were shitty. When I went to try to look up, you know, resources to try to figure out, cause you're seeing so many more, you know, hip scopes happening, but I figured there'd be more information out there on how kind of what is our, is a return to sport programming? Like what things are we looking for? How are we progressing these things? And I was really surprised on how little there was. And that showed me that there was maybe a need, right? At least in my community to help build my name again in this, maybe the hip scope world and to get more of these surgeons to refer to me in Reno. It's dominated by physician owned practices, right? I'd say probably, you know, 90% of the orthopedic surgeons own their own physical therapy clinics. So I had to figure out a creative way to try to get into some of these guys. So one of the, one of the surgeons, he actually uses my protocol. He gives his PTs my protocol. Great. I'm like, I'll be that guy. I mean, I'd prefer that you just send them to me, but you know, I'll still be the guy. So it came from those ideas, right? I, I used it as a marketing tool primarily. I used it as a way to try to like improve the way that I view things. Um, so like hip scopes, I had a very low knowledge base. I had a very low working IQ on how to manage these other than just like the general kind of base that I think most people have. I wanted to get better at it. And so I just wanted to consume everything I possibly could. And then I wanted to try to put something out there as a resource for other people. And that's why it's all these like narrative based protocols. You get, right. The hip scope one's the same thing. Q, you contributed uh, a ton to that one. So, uh, you know, you get to tell people that, it's our protocol, right? Two O's and goose. Right. So, so that's the way I do it. And that's the way, and, I, and I've, I've recommended this to a lot of the young PTs. I mean, back to the original conversation of like giving away free shit. I probably have, I mean, I don't know, conservatively 200 hours in this protocol. I'm not getting paid for that. Like, like this expectation that you're just going to be successful by not doing a lot of the free stuff. You know, it, I think I think it's just a, a bad recipe. So now my free stuff that I'm giving away are resources, right? I'm, I'm creating content and it's really self-fulfilling because I want everybody in Reno, if they tear their ACL, if they get a hip scope, I want not only the community to think of me, but I want the surgeons to think of me too. So that's kind of, it's just like, you know, multiple faceted approach to kind of writing this stuff. And I think like when I was talking with uh, Taylor Eckle, you know, she wants to kind of, we want to build these things. The, the overarching conversation is take what you have in front of you, right? Check. You have to have a couple of non-negotiables. I need to have a, a clinic where I, um, I have mentorship. I need to not be in a mill type setup. And I need to be able to have these kind of like free flowing conversations with, you know, maybe my boss or, or people that I respect, my mentors. I need to be able to kind of have some room to explore these ideas. I think those are non-negotiables. I think you have to have those as a, as a young, as a new grad, or really as any clinician. We have them in here all the time. I mean, Nick D'Agostino, who was on your podcast, you know what I mean, uh, a month ago, he's probably worked for me for, it'll be, I think it'll be almost two years. I think I hired him a week before the pandemic. Well, that was a terrible business move, but um, but he's such a valuable guy, as you guys have, have gotten to know, like he's such a valuable guy that I was like, I can't afford to lose him. So I, I literally paid Nick to just hang out for like two months. I'm like, just hang out. Like, I want to I want to get to know you. I want you to get to know us. I, I made that decision, but Here's a guy that's been out of, you know, been working for me less than two years, whose opinion I value 
equally to anybody else's. And I want him to give me feedback. I want to have these conversations. I mean, he was, you know, he's been a big part of changing how we do our, our intake, how we do our initial evaluation. He's getting ready to kind of teach everybody how he writes programming. He's been a starting strength coach for over a decade. He's auditing, you know, Ripito's courses. I'm like, well, this guy can write a program 10 times better than I can probably. Right. So he's going to, he's going to teach some of these things. So we have this relationship here where nobody is better than anybody else and that we're all going to be able to kind of share these ideas. We all get to see like where our strong areas are. So Nick is so valuable in this area. Nick can have trouble with simple electronics, right? Then Dakota comes in. Dakota's my utility guy. Dakota knows how to do every single job in this clinic, right? So, and he wrote, he wrote uh, our shoulder protocol, right? Same thing. So, and Dakota's actually was published. So his is published in a peer-reviewed journal. He partnered with one of the surgeons. He is now on that surgeon's website demonstrating how to do pendulums. So nothing sexy, but you go to this surgeon who's the, who's a very, very good surgeon, very well respected in Reno. When you go to her website, you see Dakota demonstrating pendulums. So who do they think of when they want to go and do their rehab, right? So that's where those tools came from. And I told people like, just take what's in front of you, have your non-negotiables, then build and build slowly over time, right? A thousand bucks a year, in 10 years is a lot. I mean, you, you'd be shocked at how far you can get with that. And I would treat the, the marketing and the development is, is the same idea, you know, free stuff, thousand bucks a year in equipment. It's amazing how far you can get. Yeah. I, two thoughts, the, the 200 plus hours of working on that hip arthroscopy. I, I mean, I would jokingly like try to beat you to the clinic each morning. Cause I walked there and at like 5:15 and you're just bumping rap music with a toothpick and you're just crushing this protocol and you're getting feedback from Derek Miles and Mike Raymond and like as you said you're not getting paid for that and it's before your patients and it's it was that consistent almost every single day i see that happen and it's just very impressive to see that and you're you're not you know it, i think the norm like, if you were someone's going to come it should be like the jab somewhere. No, there's no jab. The, uh, like, I imagine if you were in that, in your shoes right now, like as a 25 year old, you would be posting every day, like just working on my hip arthroscopy protocol or whatever. Like you'd be, you know, sharing it to the public and in regards to just kind of showing off this work, but you're just grinding away under the radar, which I just think is awesome because it's the, the end product that people will be super impressed with, but you don't really care that you know, you know, whether or not you're working on it now, it's this long game of chunking it out over months, which is super cool. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's definitely, yeah. again, like, I mean, I only listen to eight, the heavy rap between the hours of five fifteen and 7. AM. So it's just the way I have to start my day, you know? Um, <laughs> and I would argue that I'm also like not efficient with the work I do. I'm like, I'm sure some like a normal person probably would have finished this, like, you know, in the first like six weeks, but as you've, as you both, both have learned and probably this podcast suggests I'm very tangential. I'm all over the place. Like it's very hard for me to focus, you know, but I appreciate that. And, and I, I don't care about Instagram. I don't care about a lot of things, right? I just, that a lot of people maybe value what I care about or what happens inside these four walls, right? I mean, what I can do here, I, I think small, and I think what's about what's in front of me. I don't care about politics. I don't care about national politics. I care about local politics. 
I care much more about, you know, my mayor than I care about my president. And people may not understand that, but I feel like that's where I can have some effects. I feel like such a small, like, you know, you know, speck of, you know, the mode of dust when we're talking about these bigger things. And, and some people, that's the, the direction where they want to go. They want to make big changes. I've just found that it's more fulfilling and more rewarding to make small changes with people, you know, that right in front of me. So this is where I, I try to do these things. And then to have this like side effect where people like have actually read this protocol and they're sharing this protocol and other people that I don't even know have read this, like, that's really like, cool. I mean, but I don't, I really don't care. Right. It's not something I value. I'm glad that people, that people read it and that maybe it adds to something, but that's not why I do it. Right. I do it primarily marketing and education for myself. So yeah, that's that's a really cool perspective because I think um, young clinicians and I've certainly felt this massive pressure as well that like with social media, it makes you feel like, oh, well, if you're not, you know, getting out and making these big, broad stroke impacts, then it's not worth anything. Or, you know, these these all these new grads that are in clinics that don't look like Nevada physical therapy that don't have the five, six squat racks and the Kaiser, you know, uh, knee extension and hamstring curl and the, uh, floor Nordic thing and all the barbells and, and all the cool stuff, the turf. And, um, you just said something really cool about the, you know, what happens in just your four walls. And I think anybody at any stage at any clinic along that road could have that same mentality and make massive impacts. And we talk about, Oh, well, it's nothing but a drop in the bucket. And, I'm like, yeah, but if the bucket's full of water and you put a drop of food dye in it, that makes a big freaking difference. You know, so a drop in the bucket has a very different connotation when that drop matters. And and I and that's kind of what I'm hearing from you right now is that you've spent a lot more time making your small contributions very meaningful, both for you and for your community and, and uh, for the patients. And, and it's worked out for you. So I think it just gives a lot of hope to those who are, I don't know, feeling the pressure, you know, feeling the squeeze of, uh, all these things that are imposed upon them that they quote unquote have to do. And there's probably a lot more at their fingertips, of uh, value that they could be adding where they stand, um, versus like, you know, trying to get out on the medias and the interwebs and make these big far reaching, uh, impacts. So appreciate you saying that, man. Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess it just always comes down to like, why are you doing this? Like, what, what, I mean, I was joking about this last week of like, why, you know, when people say I want to, you know, charge 200 bucks a visit for physical therapy because cash based and insurance is going to tell me what to do. Like, so when you went to physical therapy school, you, we all have this like altruism, right? I mean, we all want to help people. That's why we got into this. And I just want for one, for once, I just want someone to be like, I want to help people the way I want to. And only for those that can afford it. They're like, oh shit, yeah, at least you're honest. Like this, but nobody is like saying that like, oh, cash basis, you know. I'm like, fuck that. Like, you are you just decided two-thirds of the population, sorry, can't afford my services. And then you have this, like the entrepreneur guys being like, that's what you're worth, that's what you charge. And I just think these messages get lost. You know, when we were at CSM, I mean, I was always joking that I really feel like there needs to be like a white pages, you know what I mean? Like for physical therapy about people sharing like their, the, the mistakes or that we could talk about. I used to tell people their livers were tipped, you know, or like, Hey, I didn't know if we we're going to make payroll last month. Like no one talks about like how hard some of these things are, but that I think is really what, especially new grads, but I think just the community in general, especially in the social media world, that's what we, people need to hear, right? They need to hear like in Q, I mean, you're doing your, you're starting your business. I mean, you're, you're getting that, that, that feel like, 
dude, I stare at the ceiling fan, you know, for, I've been up since 3am today, you know, and it's, those are the things that no one shares, right? Or yeah, we borrowed a barbell, we had a bent rusty barbell and we still have it and I'll always keep it. You know, it's like the first dollar bill, you know, we're like, <laughs> we're, that barbell staying with us forever. So I just, uh, I, I hope that people, if they, you know, they listen to this to take one thing, it's just, it's start where, where you are with what you have and give yourself 10 years to try to get to where you're going. We try to get our patients to do this, right? We try to get our patients to not expect these like quick returns, but to like look at these bigger, you know, returns over time. And then for some reason, professionally, we don't do the same thing to ourselves. Yeah. Maybe we can, unless Chris, you had a different direction. I'm curious just to maybe cap some of this conversation off with just what are some like really big things as you've gone through, and we could even start with ACL or we could do what's most front of mind for you with the hip arthroscopy. Like what are some things that maybe you had some assumptions on a year ago coming into this process that now 200 plus hours conservatively, conservatively later, uh, you're coming out on the other side of like, what are some big gems you're learning as you go here? Yeah. Um, I don't, with the hip, it's more of like that wild west type feeling, you know, I mean, there, there isn't a lot of, there's very little return to sport information, which was like really surprising to me because of how the exponential increase and in how much we we're doing this, yet we're still in that old like ACL model where it's like, how long has it been and how do you feel? So it was really blown away that there's just such little information out there on how we're deciding when people are going back to sport after hip scopes. Cause that population is typically in that like 18 to 25 year old range. I mean, that's, that's one of the big populations. So um, I was really, I mean, there's a great article and I can, uh, I can send it to you if you want to link it, but there's a great article on the, on the uh, variability of hip scope protocols. And this was, I think from 2018 or 2016, um, I'm not going to try to pronounce it because there's, it's like a C and a V, Savitanovich. So I am going to try to pronounce it, but, and, and he wrote it up and it was like, it, but it was such a good article because it just showed like of the protocols, which are limited, they're all over the place. And I just was getting, you had these like constant publications of, you know, Harry and Al, they put it, they put it out and they're like, all the decision-making is based off anecdote. Like there is no science driving how we're making any of these decisions. So I was pretty blown away by that. That was one of those things I, I figured there had to be more and I just wasn't able to find it. You know, and then you're just getting this review after review that we are just totally winging it after the hip scope stuff, right? Um, I think I was really blown away. I think, you know, Mike Raymond's paper on, you know, return to sport testing. I mean, when you when you look at it at, at first glance, it's 85 to 93% return to sport after hip scope. I mean, that's a fantastic number in orthopedics, right? And then Mike came out with his papers like, eh, yeah, maybe around 70%. And then Ishoi came out, it was like, eh, 50, probably closer to like 30%. I mean, like it just kept getting less and less. And so what do we have? We're probably somewhere around the ACL return to sport level, right? Somewhere around 55 to 65% are going back. And that was, I mean, a pretty mind-blowing thing because everything that I read initially was that 85 to 93%. So I think just being able to set expectations better for patients on how long it takes for a hip scope like that it is you know a third to maybe 40 percent don't go back to their their prior level of function um how there really was not a lot of evidence to drive decision making you know those were really big takeaways for me and we're trying to put this together and whether or not i mean i think it's i think it's better than what's out there but i mean it's not validated like you know we haven't studied it against like you know controls things like that but um, as far as the ACL, I don't know if I have any big changes other than I'm constantly wondering if we're doing this well enough. 
know what I mean? I'm always wondering what can we be doing better? Like, how are these guys doing? Like, am I missing anything? And it's that same kind of idea of like self, the self-doubt of trying to be better at this, at this thing. So like, we're probably going to change some of our progressions. We're going to have Nick kind of modify. I felt like I was just giving too much. I mean, these programs were kind of really big, you know, when they got into that like middle phase, which was, a, it's a big strength block, but Nick's going to kind of maybe change some of our templates and, and kind of change the way that we program a bit. And so I think it's more of a long time ago, I stopped trying to like, I don't know, be, be right. Right. Or like to have this, like, try, I'm not trying to sell anything. I don't, it doesn't cost anybody anything to download our protocol. Like I'm not trying to make money off that in that sense, I'm trying to make money off from a marketing standpoint. I want to be in that. That's what I want to build. But I think I'm constantly looking at how can I be doing this better? And there's a constant doubt of, am I even doing a good job, right? Which nobody, again, nobody on PT or on social media, you know, in the PT world is, is out there being like, I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm constantly, I, I had to get, I mean, a patient dislocate after a hip scope. I mean, Chris knows her. And, and I mean, you want to talk about thinking you are the worst physical therapist. I'm like, I'm reflecting on every possible thing we did. I'm talking to her surgeon, the surgeons call him Stanford. It's a freak thing. Right. But no one, I'm not sharing that on Instagram being like, Hey, you know, everything can be going awesome. I mean, this was the easiest rehab I've ever done for a guy. Like she was, she had no pain. She was strong. She was doing great. She's athletic one random step and she dislocated and it's a one-off. I mean, I read every single article I could find on dislocation after hip arthroscopy and there's always risk factors. There's all these other things. She had none of them. So it's this constant thing of like trying to evolve and trying to do better. And then you have these like really acute moments where like, dude, I'm, awful at this like i'm just not good at this you know and then and i was joking around with her surgeon i'm like if something else i have three of his patients right now and i'm like i'm telling you right now if they don't do well i'm opening a food truck and he was like <laughs> and, and, he's, and this guy's a, he's a stanford trained surgeon um but he's like I'm, I'm with you i mean not enough people are sharing that it's okay to doubt it's okay to have and you're going to have these crazy things that happen that make you really reflect as a clinician or uh, am I good? Am I, am I doing a good job here? Like, can I be better? Instead, everyone's just selling like, this is the way, right? I mean, like they're, they're so confident. They're so bold and nobody wants to be seen as being dumb. And that's why I joke around. And I, I say that often that I'm not the smartest guy in the room. Um, I'm usually like the third smartest typically, you know, it just depends on how many people, right? So, but no one wants to be the dumb guy. Nobody wants to ask stupid questions. I'm like, I'll ask. I, I don't know all the bones in the wrist like so whatever and i don't i swear to god i can name four maybe i don't treat wrists like whatever i'm not your guy i see somebody else but i, I, I use that joke all the time i guess both of you probably heard it about 15 times because i have to recycle my jokes but it's okay to not be good at everything it's okay to have doubt it's okay to reflect and wonder you can't get paralyzed by that and you have to always have this pursuit of being better but Nobody wants to like be the guy who asks the stupid question. Nobody wants to be the PT that's sharing on public platforms. Like that they have times when they just doubt themselves to a fault, right? That they're just like, I can't believe this happened. Like I, I'm awful at my job, you know? So those are normal, but nobody talks about them. Just like we all talk about, you know, the earlier conversations, like this ideal clinic or this 200 bucks an hour for cash. Like these are what the things are, people are all selling you on social media and no one's actually talking about the backside. So if I, if I have to be that guy, I'll be that guy, but fine with it. Yeah. 
No, and it's funny that you talk about even just the hit protocol, because I remember when we first endeavored on this, like kind of one of the things you tasked me with was like coming up with a protocol, you know, and using like the ACL kind of stuff as a template. away my secrets, buddy. <laughs> what was that? You're giving away my secrets. I actually have never written a protocol. I just make my students <laughs> do it. And, sure. You know, right, right. No, but, you know, I mean, it was just kind of, it, we started getting into these papers and it was like article after article after article had just kind of broad sweeping, like we did these exercises and it was just kind of the authors for whatever reason, that's the ones they came up with, but you follow the, the trail of where these came from and there wasn't one. It was just kind of, I don't know, we're just throwing you know, stuff at the fan and seeing what, you know, sticks, you know, it was crazy. And, and everyone had a different, you know, way of it that it became like, well, there is not any protocol to be written because there's no consensus on this. And I think it's just important to realize um, for, you know, people listening, I think you're someone who has read so much and, and Derek is another one of those guys that we interviewed earlier in the podcast that his, his repertoire of cat, like categorically how much he's read in different categories is just crazy. And yet you are some of the first people to also admit, nah, like, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer. And, okay. and that's not because, oh, uh, research, see, it can't answer the question because you guys also have been doing this for a really long time. You guys are competitive in different things uh, yourself. I mean, you're somebody that's very accomplished in, in the powerlifting realm. You, you've done athletic things over the course of your life. It's not like you've just stepped away into being a, a little bookworm and you're only going to, you know what I mean? Like you're talking to so many people, you're delving in so deep, deeper than most people are comfortable going and still coming out on the other side saying, Hey, you know what? <laughs> we don't have this stuff figured out as much as we thought. And, and that's okay though. Like you can still make progress, you know, just the same, like, yeah, because you're not having the awesome, beautiful clinic with turf and barbells and you're not the biggest social media sensation ever with, with a million plus followers, like there's still so much good that you can do. And there's so much value in being uncertain. Sometimes that you can still deliver good care. Um, I don't know. I'm making some, trying to tie this all together, but I, I think there's just some value in what you're saying that you've gone real deep come out on the other side with some knowledge, but still very much aware that we don't have this figured out. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you for saying that, by the way. Yeah. I know and this, and this is not me just trying to gas you up, but, but you know, you, you gas me up. I could, and I, and I do, and I will. But, Maybe um, we, uh, we go the opposite route and talk about one of John's psycho traits. Well, one of many, the, um, <laughs> Where's this going, Chris? <laughs> we have to talk about John swallowing Listerine every day. Yeah. The fact that you don't gargle and you just swallow it is wild. And that's, I mean, <laughs> I just had to well, put it out there. because It's probably the most shocking thing I saw out of four weeks besides, you know, the Reno locals. But see, I think we're really just going back to the roast where we started. You know, I just like, <laughs> um, first off. There's alcohol in Listerine, so I'm dead on the inside. So whatever just gives me a little spark of joy. And, you know, the back of the tongue is disgusting. So I just, you know, I feel like it's got to be all the way through the system. <laughs> I don't know why I started that. I, uh, I don't spit chewing tobacco either. I just I guess I'm just weird. I'm like dead on the inside. So it's all good. Nice. So do you have anything else? <laughs> 
What'd you say? <laughs> so for those of you that don't know, I, I chew school. I don't use a spitter either. And then I apparently me swallowing Listerine is, is a shocking you know, event. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, either you're well, super dead on the inside or very much alive. Like there's a lot going on to process all that. Who knows? It's exciting. Um, it's <laughs> like a game y'all are playing of like, who's going to die first? Uh, Nick, Dag, uh, through just pure caffeine consumption. Um, Dakota for going like overdosing on melatonin 10 milligrams plus and then you just swallowing gallons of listerine over the years yeah we don't Who, we're, not, we're not living we're not like a big balanced crew over here right? we're all just kind of managing our, our different uh issues chemically yeah so yeah <laughs> <laughs> well maybe um odd pivot there from that I don't, I don't know where to go from there but maybe if you could just sum up two or three kind of overarching concise kind of things you would hope people take away from this conversation from you, John, would that be okay to kind of end there? Yeah. Um, I think first be comfortable with asking the stupid questions to putting yourself out there and being vulnerable. And I think the sooner that young clinicians realize they don't have to have all the answers and they're never going to have all the answers, uh, the, the sooner they're going to be willing to start actually learning and start growing I think stop comparing what you think you want to social media. Uh, it's it's the nature of social media will be a highlight reel and a false sense of reality. And instead start kind of really reflecting on what you value in, in a clinic and pursue that, which you're not going to find on social media very often because it's not sexy, right? And you're going to have to give away free shit because you have to establish value before you can establish the ask. So stop asking and just start showing, right? So both of you guys had keys to the clinic because you showed me, you're like, I'm coming in before you and I'm going to beat you. I'm like, mm, mm, we'll see. And you did. I mean, consistently, like you guys were both in before me and which for those that don't listen, I mean, I typically get here around 530 in the morning. So usually an hour and a half before the we open for the clinic. So to beat me, well, and Q would go and run in the snow, which was impressive. But Chris had to walk through downtown Reno every morning at 5.15 in the morning. So I'm going to go with uh, Chris is going to take the lead here on dedication. But my point, though, is that you guys showed me before I knew you, right? So those would be the things that I hope that people take away from all this rambling and blistering talk and, you know, all that. So, <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Uh, that's a great place to stop. Um because you're uh, uh, sometimes avoid social media, where can people reach you or can they reach you on Instagram? Uh, I prefer you didn't, but if you do, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. Uh, so Instagram is just Nev, N-E-V-P-T. So Nev PT. Um, but yeah, you message me. I mean, I'm happy to respond. Uh, give me some grace and typically get back to messages within anywhere from uh, 12 hours to 12 weeks. So if I don't respond, just ping me again. You know, I get distracted easily. So yeah, uh, reach out anytime. I'm happy to, to chat with anybody if they have questions. Uh, but do not ask me about specific exercises in the protocol because you've missed, you're missing the point. I get people all the time. How do you do the banded squat march? I'm like, it's not, that's not what matters. Like, that's not what we're talking about. It's not a cookie cutter deal. And so that's my one caveat. Don't ask me about exercises. You can ask me about the whys and the, and the thinking, but it drives me nuts. It's not a cookie cutter game. So, yeah. 
Perfect. No specific exercise, no audio message. Yes, that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, perfect. All right, thanks, John. All right, guys. We sincerely hope you enjoyed the conversation today. And if you did, please leave us a five-star review. Also, please don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media where you can find us at Adaptabilia. You can support us by not only leaving a five-star review, but following our podcast and individual accounts on social media. As for now, folks, adapt well, adapt often, and we'll see you next time.